Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Brooke. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Brooke. I am a compulsive overeater and a restrictor. Um, thank you. Hi. Really happy to be here all day. I've been like, am I nervous about speaking at Light a Candle? No, I don't think I'm a little bit nervous. It's a big deal to speak at Light a Candle, and I'm really, um, really happy to be here tonight. Um, I am going to talk tonight about what it was like, uh, what happened, and what it's like now. And I just want to say, you know, if you're a newcomer, I hope you hear something in my lead tonight that resonates with you. If you don't, keep coming back. Um, and I also just have, I, I don't make it to light a candle very often, but I just have to give a shout out to this particular meeting because this was the meeting that, like, this podcast gave me the boost that I needed to actually get into the rooms. Um, and my sponsor is here, Lucy, uh, who is who gives a lot of service at this meeting. I've got some sisters in the room who have been a huge part of my recovery, so it's really great to be here tonight. <clears throat> so when I think about what it was like, it's so funny because I, I think for me the addiction ball was rolling before like sperm and egg even met like this is part of my history this is part of my lineage I come from generations of folks who were either alcoholics Al-Anons or had food issues like that's my whole family Um, I'm going to mention some of those folks tonight and I really you know before I do that I really want to say that like I mention them with compassion and love all of those people I love dearly, and they were all, like, I am 100% sure everyone was doing the best that they could. Um, and lucky for me, like, I get to be the family member who, like, I have a daughter. Like, this isn't this isn't going to move forward if I have anything to do it with God's grace um, beyond me, I hope, right? And so that's why I'm, I'm in recovery, like, for myself and for all of those people who are before me and the ones who um, who are in my care now. So um, I was born in 1980, and uh, my mom and dad were high school sweethearts. I come from the Rust Belt of Ohio, where people work hard and play hard. Um, life is very black and white, very hardcore. And uh, my mom and dad were high school sweethearts, and my mom had me when she was 18. Uh, She did not finish high school. My dad was in college, and I look back on that, and I'm like, wow, um, I don't know if I could have done that at 18. That's, I have a child of my own now. That's, that's a pretty tall order. Um, she was an 18-year-old who was also very sick. Uh, she is one of us, and, um, my, you know, my early upbringing and my early, uh, programming around food, uh, was really, um, you know, set into motion by someone who was an anorexic bulimic, and it was really dysfunctional. Um, So I lived with my mom until I was eight, and her eating disorder really kind of like set the pace for our life. Um, She didn't eat during the day. Her 
her diet was um, Maxwell House instant coffee with cold water and an apple all day. And she would get up. She had a pretty serious sleepwalking disorder. And she would get up and binge eat at night and then vomit in the morning. So, like, that's what I was... That was my my first uh, introduction to healthy eating and diet was that. Um, and obviously, it, it wasn't healthy at all. Um, and pretty early on, like, I remember doing some really, like, weird and dysfunctional things with food. I remember our refrigerator had, like, potatoes and carrots in it and not a whole lot else, obviously. I get now why that is. Um, and so, you know, I would do things like eat spoonfuls of peanut butter dipped in sugar and, like, just, like, weird little things with food because I was, like, always hungry. And I had two sets of grandparents in the mix um, who were actually, like, another set of parents for me. And I loved being at their houses because, like, they cooked food and had food. Um, and, and that wasn't always the case. It's not that my mom was starving me. It's just that we, we didn't have a whole lot um, in the house because she was actively engaged in an eating disorder. Um, when I was five, my mom got remarried to someone who was a full-blown alcoholic, and I was exposed to all kinds of violence and trauma. Um, they had a child I have a half-brother, and in fact, we were just talking the other day on the phone. We don't talk about what it was like very often, but we were actually engaged in one of those conversations, and I, like, jokingly said to him, like, ha-ha, we made it out alive, and I stopped myself and said, that's not even funny. Like, both of us at one point almost died in this household. I ended up with rheumatic fever, which, like, is an eradicated illness that I never should have had. Uh, I almost died. My brother was almost killed in a drunk driving car accident with his father. So it was a really dysfunctional home, not only with food, but just in general, and that was because of addiction. And again, really think my mom did the best that she could and was faced with a lot. So um, my first experience with a higher power also happened under that roof. And um, things had gotten really bad with my mother's husband, and my dad was always in the mix for me. So um, my mom and dad had gotten married. They got a divorce uh, when I was three. But my dad was my, my constant, and he was there to pick me up every other weekend. And um, things had gotten really bad with my mom and her husband, and I remember just getting this clear message that was like, Nothing like something is wrong with them, nothing is wrong with you, and you need to go. Like, you need to get out of this house. And luckily for me, I had my dad and his parents, my grandparents, who were very actively engaged in my life, and I let them know what was going on and um, at our house um, and just some of the abuse that was happening. And right away, my dad filed for custody, and I went to go live with him. And my story changes a little bit at that point. Um, you know, my dad was a bachelor, really great guy, and, like, needed help raising at that point. I was, like, 9 or 10 years old. Really needed some help uh, raising a kid. And so my grandmother, um, who was my idol, wonderful, wonderful woman, um, you know, I was at her house all the time. And... Um, my grandmother was 
just classy and smart and beautiful. Again, I mentioned I came from the Rust Belt. Uh, not a lot of sophistication there. My grandmother was from Chicago, and she was just very different than everybody else, always dressed to the nines, just you know, this beautiful, intelligent woman who I looked to as kind of like a model for me, you know, with all of this other dysfunction going on. I was like, okay, that is how you live life right. Because I didn't have a whole lot of other tools either. Um, so my grandma was also one of us and, you know, was just never happy with her body and her weight and became very concerned with my body. Um, and again, I know that she wanted the absolute best for me. I don't think that came from a bad place. I think she didn't want me to go through life overweight and in pain. And at that point, I had gained some weight. Um, and so, at, you know, around that time, there were conversations about, like, dieting and, like, let's have a diet contest and see who can lose the most weight. So a lot of that was going on. And lo and behold, my dad met somebody else. And that woman came into my life. Her name was Cheryl. She was my stepmom. She raised me. She was, I think, the first person ever in my life to just automatically love me unconditionally. She, um, she would tell me, like, this relationship with your dad is a package deal. Like, I'm marrying him and you. And from that point on, I had a mom. She showed up to everything. She told me, like, you can do anything you believe in. Like, she, she really helped me believe that about myself. It's really um, a big gift. She couldn't have kids. I couldn't really have a mom. My mom had kind of fallen out of the picture a little bit, and I got a mom. And so I, around that time, again, my grandmother, very loving, well-intentioned, is very concerned about my weight, and... Um, Around seventh grade, I got put on my first diet, and it was presented to me as, like, you have an opportunity to go on this commercial diet, and uh, Grandma will support that, and I was, I remember, like, my spirit being crushed, and I think right in that, like, I think parallel with that was this message that, like, you're not enough as you are, something is wrong with you, and it's your weight, and we need to fix it now. So pretty much from middle school all the way through high school, I was on this cycle of go to Weight Watchers with Grandma, not to mention the commercial diet club, but that's what it was. Do that. Inevitably, I would never make lifetime. Um, I would lose weight. I would get a lot of positive attention from my family and my friends. And then I would end up, like, secretly binging with friends. I'm, like, down at Dairy Mart buying pints of ice cream. I would get busted with all this food. I would go off. I'd gain the weight back. You, you all know the cycle. And that was pretty much high school. The other thing that was going on for me in high school was I got the message that as long as you're thin and beautiful and you're meeting those expectations and you're getting straight A's and anything you put your name on is better than anybody else, you're in good shape. It does not, like, you could be, you know, doing Lord knows what on the weekends, but as long as you show up to school and get those straight A's and you're looking good, we're cool here. And that was literally high school for me. I was engaging in a lot of risky behavior, and as long as I had straight A's, I was pretty, like, it didn't matter. So, you know, I think, I, I also want to just say, like, a lot of love in that home with my dad and Cheryl a lot of love, a lot of love with my grandparents, but definitely, like, when I look back and figure out, like, how I got here, 
it's pretty clear to me. I can, I can see some of uh, that early programming. So I went off to college. I was an absolute disaster because I had I had no tools to navigate that transition. Um, I went to college in state, but it was four hours away. It was a huge move for me, a huge transition, and I did not like. I just remembered feeling bad all the time. I didn't know what I was supposed to do except engage with food somehow and get good grades. So that's what I did for four years of college, I, except I wasn't being put on the commercial diet plan. So I partied hard. I ate a lot. I drank a lot. I did a lot. It didn't matter because I was like excelling academically. I ended up gaining, I don't know, 50 pounds in college. Um, wasn't looking so hot. I remember coming home and, and some of the looks I would get from my grandma when I walked in the door. I know she was not pleased. And I ended up getting this like full-ride scholarship for my master's degree. And so I took it. And um, somewhere during that year, I was like, you know what? I don't want to go out into the work world looking like this. So I know what I need to do. I need to sign up for that commercial diet program. So great. You know, I like aced my way through graduate school, landed a really great job in LA, and I um, lost all the weight on the commercial diet program. I finally met Lifetime, and then I, uh, it wasn't enough for me. I was like, ooh, you know, you've got a weight range. And I was like, no, I want to be at that very last final number. I want them to tell me, like, you have to stop. So that's what I did. And for me, at that point, I was like a size two, which is was pretty emaciated for my build. Um, and I, it was never enough. Like, I hit that number, and I wanted to be 10 pounds lower than that. So I, like, moved to L.A., and my tools, again, are to do that commercial diet program, but it had actually morphed into... Um, you know, I, I was, I could not go to a restaurant without bringing, like, my own condiments. There were, like, I had a very limited list of foods that I could eat. I was, like, in a tiny little box with my food. And I was also, again, I'd done another big life transition, and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I'm, like, experiencing, like, you know, I'm away from my family. I'm homesick. Um... I'm really thin and beautiful, and it doesn't even matter because I'm still having all these bad feelings. And so I moved into this little, like, studio apartment right next to Avon's, and I started, like, going over there every night, you know, and I would get, like, all this commercial diet program-friendly food, um, and I started binging and purging. And um, it scared the shit out of me. Like... It was so violent, yet so exciting for me. And, like, I knew, I was like, I, I cannot, I'm going to go down quick. Like, I cannot keep doing this. Um, I ended up connecting with a therapist who helped me work through that specific behavior. But that, like, binge and purge kind of lifestyle and mentality never really left me. It just turned into... I'll overeat and I'll run 10 miles. So I became like a compulsive runner up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 10-mile runs, starving all day, overeating at night. I mean, it was just like that sick cycle. Um, I also abused laxatives. And I ended up getting into a relationship with a wonderful man who has put up with a lot. We're married today. <laughs> and... Um, and the extremity of that behavior kind of tampered down 
it just kind of morphed into like I was constantly in this like restrict and binge cycle, constantly dieting, putting him on diets. I made him run the LA marathon with me, like, (laughs) you know, and, um, my headspace was like 98% consumed with food, what I'm going to eat. We're going out to dinner. Let me check out their menu, like nonstop, nonstop. And I thought it was normal. And, you know, I think, when my when my grandmother took me to Weight Watchers, she said to me, you're going to need this because genetically you're going to be overweight and, like, you're going to need these tools to manage your weight for the rest of your life. I literally thought, like, I would have thoughts to myself, like, wow, my dad just kind of, like, eats and, like, doesn't do any exercise. Like, he's a normal weight. I don't understand how that works because there's so much work I have to do um, to keep myself thin. And, of course, thin is relative, and it's never enough for me. Um, So, you know, what ended up happening to me was a complete disconnect with anything spiritual, a higher power. There was a whole kind of, like, domino of life events that happened, for which I, again, have no tools because my tools were dieting and looking good and being the best at everything and achieving, achieving, achieving. That's how, like, I managed life. And so when things really, when real life stuff started happening to me, like, those tools didn't cut it anymore. So what happened was my husband and I got married. We decided that we wanted to have a baby. And we went through two years of infertility. We had multiple miscarriages, and I was pissed. I was like, there is clearly no God because no one would put me through this. I was also mad because life wasn't working out on my terms. Like, I wanted a baby now, and I'm in charge, and I I get this if I want this. And it wasn't happening. Um, We were down a really, like, hard road with infertility, and the third loss that we had was really, really tough. Um, I had completely connected with any concept of God at that point. I was just like, this is it. Like, there is nothing beyond the physical world. And so what my husband and I decided to do was we kind of, like, put the brakes on trying to have a baby. And we just kind of decided to throw all of our cards on the table and say, bring it, God. If you're here, we're going to do all the things and see what happens. So there was a doctoral program like number one ranked program in my field right here in LA. I'm going to apply for that. We're going to remodel our house. We're going to like do it all. And if you're not going to give us what we want, like there was very much that mentality. If we're not going to get what we want, then we're just going to do all this, which I look back on that and it's it's insane Um, and very disconnected. So we did all the things. And of course, like pretty much the week I found out I got into that doctoral program, I also found out I was pregnant. Uh, We tore up our house. We had a baby while I was in this doctoral program where, you know, our life was really chaotic and really unmanageable. And I, I pause on that because like for me, when life gets unmanageable, it's not like I'm in the gutter somewhere. It's like stuff like that. Like there's this chaos that I have created that's insane. I didn't need to put myself in that position. Um, So all of that happened, and it was hard and challenging. And then, like, those were things I did 
that, that was a life we set up for ourselves because we're in charge of it all and we get what we want when we demand it. It's very much our attitude. Um, and then real life happened again. And um, we had taken my daughter home to meet uh, my grandparents, who were still alive at the time. She was one years old, and uh, my mom... Cheryl came down with the flu, my stepmom, that weekend, and she had stage four lung cancer and died six weeks later. And on the day of her funeral, my grandmother also died. So I was dealing with enormous grief. Um, I didn't even, I, like, I was, it was like one foot in front of the other, and I had this, like, one-year-old I had to show up for. And a big part of my disease is perfection, and my standards for my parenting are really, really high. And I was having a really hard time showing up. I'm in a doctoral program. I'm trying to do all, I got a big promotion at work. These all sound like good things. I was dealing with some serious grief, and I had no higher power. Like, I was just here in that alone. I had no explanation for it. Really, I, I couldn't understand why it all happened like that was really tough. And so I just, the next like year of my life was really rough. And of course, my solution is going to lose some weight, going to go on a diet. I kept trying and trying to diet. And for the first time ever, I couldn't do it. I couldn't lose any weight. I was gaining weight. And I was with a therapist at the time who one day just stopped me and said like, I am hearing the same, like, the same thing from you every week. You come in here, you talk about running the Baldwin Hills Scenic Overlook and doing this diet and doing this cleanse. It is nonstop. I don't know if you can hear yourself, but what I'm not hearing is that you're powerless over the history. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, if there is one thing I can do in this world, it is lose weight. Like, there's no way I'm, like, powerless. I, I could not even comprehend what she was talking about. And she said, like, I think you should go check out an OA meeting. And I was like, mm, no, Overeaters Anonymous? Absolutely not. Like, I'm not going to go to a meeting called Overeater. Like, I'm not going to join that club. So I probably, for another two months, tried every diet I could. I could not stop eating sugar. I mean, I like, really bad. And so finally I was like, okay, I'm going to go to an OA meeting. Look one up. There's one at 1 o'clock near where I work. I'm going to go to the meeting. So I'm driving over there. I had seen that there were OA podcasts on the, the OA website. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to one of these. I listened to this podcast uh, from someone named Lucy B. And um, in that podcast, Lucy mentioned, like, I have I had rheumatic fever as a kid, and I, like, I was almost not going to go to this meeting, and I heard that, and I was like, no one has rheumatic fever. Like, okay, I'm going to go to this meeting. I walked in. Uh, there's someone here in this room uh, who was the lead that day, Doreen, and I heard my story. I, like... I knew right away. Oddly enough, I ran into Doreen at, like, a pumpkin patch later on that night. And I was like, okay, there are some, like, really weird coincidences happening here. I'm going to keep going back. Um, I knew I needed a sponsor right away. Um, I heard my sponsor speak at a meeting. She seemed like I, – I felt like I needed someone who was, like, no BS, right? And um, 
I started working with her, and it wasn't until, like, I don't know, maybe we were in the fourth step where I realized that, like, Lucy was the same Lucy that I, like, I did not, when I heard her at that meeting and asked her to sponsor me, I did not realize that it was her. So the miracles and the God shots that happen in this meeting are, are on, in this program are unbelievable. My life today is full of so many miracles, and I'm going to kind of move into uh, how I work my program. Um, so for me, what I, what I learned pretty early on is this has nothing to do with food. Uh, for me, it's really a spiritual problem. It is for most of us, and it's manifesting in my food. Working the steps was probably one of the most pivotal experiences of my entire life. I came in knowing like my life was unmanageable. I couldn't quite figure out why, but I knew that I had had you know, a concept of a higher power in the past. I was like, okay, I can get back on board with that. I got to step three. And, like, I was in charge of the world. Like, I have set myself up in my life with so much responsibility. It's, like, ridiculous. And in my head, nobody was more powerful than me. Like, I was in charge of it all. And so step three, I think, is where a real spiritual experience started happening for me. And, like, step three is my backbone. Like, every single day, I say the third step prayer. I go back to it, like... I'm not in charge of the world. I actually, and it is such a relief. Like, I get to show up and be so much, with so much more kindness. Easy does it is what Lucy always tells me. Like, I don't have to, like, you know, plow through life because I'm responsible for everything. And No, I'm actually not in charge of, I mean, I'm responsible for things, but the results of most things are not up to me. And that was huge. That was a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders. And I just started really playing around with that. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to my higher power. Let's see if this really works. And time and time again, it did. Um, The fourth and fifth step, I am really good at taking my own inventory. Again, I'm a hardcore perfectionist. So those steps happen. But I will say step six and seven kicked my ass. And, you know, I think, like, as you're working the steps, your higher power will put things in your path to really drive home, like, the essence of those steps. Those two, for me, like, I got through four and five, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, six and seven, that's easy. And I think in step six, it says something like, this is the step that, like, differentiates the boys from the men or the girls from the women. And, like, was so true for me. I had a really horrific public thing happened where I was blamed for something I did not, was not my fault. My, I was, my reputation was pretty much run through the mud in a really public way. And, um, what happened was I identified that part of my disease puts me in this selfishness spiral of like self-pity and self-abuse. And when that thing happened, like I just took myself out harder than any like food, drug, or alcohol. I can take myself out bad. And recognizing that like defect, um, was really big for me, a big piece of my recovery. Cause it's so easy for me to go into self-pity and it's always followed by self-abuse. So six and seven were big. Eight and nine, and really showing up with honesty and humility for me were also really big life lessons. I'm in a leadership role, and part of my thing used to be like, I'm so transparent, I'm so honest. 
you know, I learned really quickly in this program, like, there was nothing transparent or honest about what I was doing with food or most other areas in my life because it was all about, like, manipulating life and manipulating things to work out in my world, my vision of things, which I've realized is a pretty lame vision. My higher powers vision for me is way bigger than anything I could ever even come up with. Um, so eight and nine were big, and I got really honest. I made some really hard amends. Like, I'm talking, I called my Spanish teacher from high school and made an amends. I called a friend from college and made a really difficult amends, and I went through and, like, really cleaned house, and it felt really good. And, you know, today it's about 10, 11, and 12 for me. Um, I have a spiritual practice that if I don't do it, in the morning, I pay for it. <laughs> um, I do things like I did in March, which is like I wrecked my car. And when I looked back on that day, I was like, yep, you got up, you had too much coffee, you were in a hurry, you rushed out the door, you were just like plowing through like you can do, and boom, wrecked your car. Like you need to pause and you need to connect with, I need to connect with a power much greater than me and remember that I'm not in the driver's seat all the time um, and have that power kind of guiding me through my life. So it's 10, 11, and 12. I do my spiritual practice. I'm, um, I've had some training with meditation, and so I usually do like, I don't know, five to could be like 15 minutes of meditation. There's a meditation teacher I really like um, in the morning. I do some kind of writing, um, even if it's a list of things that I'm, like, setting out to do that incorporate the tools of this program. I do a, a gratitude list, um, and I pray. I get on my knees. Um, I do the 11th step prayer. I do the third step prayer. I hand over to my higher power all of the things that I am not, that, like, I am powerless over, and there's, like, a whole big list every day. Um, I, I really try to connect with gratitude with my higher power, and then I look for, like, any kind of defects that are up and pray for the willingness. Because, again, step seven is not – it's really closely related to step three. I am powerless, and I cannot remove those defects on my own. I really need my higher power to do that. So that spiritual practice has been a really big piece of it for me. And then as far as the food goes, um, my abstinence is really simple. It's three meals and two optional snacks. I need to keep it simple. I really like rules and perfection. And the minute I start playing around with that, it backfires on me. I'm overeating in a heartbeat. Um, and this is, this is such a process. I've been in program for two and a half years. I have a long way to go. And I've made a lot of recovery. But, like, last week, I was on the phone with Lucy begging her to let me download the Weight Watchers app. Like, you know what I mean? Over and But what I do now is I step back and go, oh, what was that about? No, there's some life problem that you're trying to solve with getting on a scale or doing something crazy with a diet. And it's, it's really silly, actually. I kind of have to laugh at myself when I do that. Um, I think another another piece of my program is just being able to laugh at myself. I was so like serious and driven. Everything was black and white for me. It's really like finding kindness, a more like a gentler way to move through the world. Living in the gray area, like I'm very black and white, 
and I and I get stuck. And so I have to remind myself, like, there's a middle ground there. Um, and as Lucy always says to me, easy does it. Like, it's not for you usually about working harder. Like, you know how to work hard. It's like laying off and, like, letting your higher power kind of do some of the work. Um, today my life, like there have been miracles that have happened in my life through the course of this program that like, I can't even believe it. Um, you know, my life was pretty great when I started program. I could not see that because I was so like deeply entrenched in my disease. Um, now I have the ability to actually see that. And I'm really blessed and, and really lucky to be here, and, and I'm really lucky, again, like bringing it back to some of those key uh, family members who I mentioned, like, I'm so lucky that I get to do this, this work. Like, I get to do this spiritual work, and bless you, and um, hopefully things will look different for my child, and... It's not really up to me, right? So um, that is 30 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up and open it up for questions. Yes. Hi. Um, I wanted to know how you use your program in your career today with the recovery that you had and what you talked about that you went through and whatever changes came from now. Oh my gosh, thank you for that question, how I use my recovery in my career. Um, my, my career, my approach to my work life is so different. Um, I'm in a leadership position, and again, like, I used to move through that job um, without a lot of humility. Um, I'm really good at what I do, and for me, like... Um, there weren't a lot of people who could do it better, and I was highly critical, um, and, and it really limited my leadership. And I think today I really take the third step into my career. I'm dealing with some issues. I've been engaged with a problem at my job for the past three years that, like, if I were still in my pre-program mentality of, like, you're, you can do anything, you're in charge, like, you've got this, I'd be going crazy right now because the problem is so beyond me that, like, that perspective of, like, I need to just show up and do the footwork. I need to step back, let other people, there are other leaders in my organization who bring so much more than I do, frankly, step back, let them do their jobs, um, pause, don't say so much, listen more, and, like, recognize that this big problem I'm working on, like, if my higher power wants me to be the person to lead our organization through that, maybe that'll happen, It's but it's not me. Um, and so I think kind of going back to that, like, selfishness, I think there, I had a lot of ego wrapped up in my job, and um, I've really had the opportunity through working the steps to be humbled in some ways that I think... I hope allow me to show up and be a better leader. But like I take the steps into like all areas of my life. Like it's it's everything. It's not like I mean I didn't even talk about food very much today because it's so like not the point. My problem was deeply spiritual and it was showing up everywhere. So thank you for that question. Yes. Yeah, um 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so my spiritual practice, and I want to just add a little caveat. Because I'm a perfectionist, I, I have times where I don't want to do it, and I realize I've taken it in a direction it doesn't need to go. It's actually pretty simple. Like I get up, I meditate, I pray, I do some kind of writing, and I read some literature. Um, the meditation can be as short as two minutes. It's usually 5 to 15 for me. Um, the prayer, my kind of like prayer template is I start off with the 11th step prayer. I turn over to my higher power all of the things that my, I do a one and two, basically, all the things that are out of my control. I say the, say the third step prayer, and then I share with my higher power what I'm grateful for and turn, ask for help for the willingness to be relieved of any defects and turn over whatever else and, and ask my higher power to like help me show up and be of service. Um, and then for literature, like I'll do for today, I've got some other spiritual stuff and then I do a 10 point gratitude list. So yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I will just add in there like on the steps 10, 11, and 12, I also sponsor two women that I'm sponsoring, um, and but that prayer practice helps me kind of stay connected with, like, all of the steps. So, yes? Hi, thank you so much for um, I just had a question about, like, the absence in the food plan in terms of, like, in your story, like, it very much sounds like there was, like, the overeating, but then also, like, the undereating. Yeah. So, how did you find a food plan that was like you were able to find peace with when it was like you have both dualities and it's like on a food plan, it's like, am I like restricting too much because this is like more the you like anorexic side coming out and just like finding a peace with creating a food plan in abstinence? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think like being a restrictor is really hard. Oh, yeah, sure. So the question was, like, how do you find a food plan when you've kind of got, like, both ends of it going on? Like, sometimes you binge and overeat, and sometimes you restrict. Um, I, I think being a restrictor is really hard and um, because it, it's insidious. It, like, sneaks up on you. So it's hard to find a food plan, and it's, it's hard to know when you're restricting. In fact, when I came into program, like, I knew I was overeating, but it took me a while before I, I – I heard someone speak who was a restrictor, and I was like, oh, that's what I do. Um, so the key for me has been keep it simple. Easy does it, wear it like a loose garment. Um, there is, so I don't eat sugar. It's not actually part of my abstinence. I could call Lucy and say, hey, I really want to have a piece of cake, and we would talk through it. Maybe I would do it, maybe I wouldn't. It's not a part of my abstinence, but it's a food that really sends, like, sends me off to the races. I don't want to go there. Um, and I have a couple of other, like, two other foods that have popped up for me over the past two and a half years that, like, I don't need to have, but I think part of being a restrictor is letting myself. Like, I don't have to go to every restaurant with a game plan and my own condiments and, like, because I'm going to come home after that dinner and I'm going to find something in my fridge and I'm going to end up overeating. And that's, like, I think that was the key thing for me, like, to, to recognize that relationship between restricting and binging. 
the minute I start pulling back on something, it backfires, and I can see it in my food. So it's really simple, and I have found that the abstinence of three three meals and two optional snacks just gives me, like, a good template for, like, moving forward, wearing my abstinence as a loose garment. Like, I have some flexibility in there, and I don't need to, like have a list of like 85 foods I don't eat and entire food groups that are off the table like it doesn't work for me and I will overeat I don't know if that answers your question but yeah that restricting is just it's a it's a really hard one yeah go ahead as a perfectionist and somebody with both sides of the disease how did you have the courage to have like kind of like a moderate abstinence of like three meals a day with two options if that makes sense rather than Something more intense or extreme. Yeah. Um, so the question is, like, as someone with both ends of the disease, how do I have the courage to have like a moderate abstinence? Um, I find a lot of peace in it. Like, it's so nice not to have to like do all of the work. I mean, I was spending an entire day of the week planning meals and like grocery shop I mean crazy like it's so liberating to have like some freedom in there um and trust me I am pretty regularly reaching out to my sponsor and asking if I could do some kind of rule it's like an undercover like hey maybe I should cut like no 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 I I can't I can't do that because I'm just like pulling those strings right like that it's my restrictive side like trying to like come in and and take over my food plan and like I've got to keep it. It's easy does it all the way for me. Yeah. So, thank you. Doreen, did you have a question? How do I use program in relationship with my daughter? Oh my gosh. I am so grateful that I got into program when I did. Like, I can't imagine parenting um, without the 12 steps and without a connection, like it is parenting is a spiritual experience, um, in itself. And so I'm really glad that like, I have some tools to like move me through that. I think the biggest way, um, so there's currently a situation going on with my child, um, where I have a gender creative child. And so I'm pretty liberal and cool with that anyway. And, like, there are times when it's, like, a challenge. And because I'm in this program, like, I turn my child over to the care of a higher power, first of all. And I show up with acceptance. Because acceptance prior to this program was, like, a big issue for me. I was not in acceptance of much. So it's acceptance and love all the time no matter how they show up. And I'm grateful to have the tools to, to walk me through parenting and what's to come. So thank you. Thank you so much.